gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Office Hours, where we're learning what they don't teach you in the classroom about creating more one-to-one -one memorable moments for your prospects and customers. I know I always say that I'm really excited for the guests on, on my episodes, but I am extraordinarily excited for uh, my guest today, Sydney Sloan, the CMO at SalesLoft, who I aspire to be just like a powerhouse marketer with some exceptional experience and some like really clear points of view on how the market needs to evolve and change to meet the needs of consumers. So Sydney, thank you so much. It's like, I'm, I'm gushing. I'm so excited. It's my pleasure to be here and geek out on all things marketing. So we'll, we'll be, we'll have some fun for sure. Um, so I know I introduced you by your nine to five, but we're Alice, you know, we love our five to nine. Tell us about your five to nine. What do you get up to when you are hanging up your CMO hat? If that's possible these days, I don't feel like you can really hang it up fully these days, but what do you like to do in your free time? Um, so I am a mom first. Uh, so I have two teenagers who uh, have taught me the real important lessons in life. And, and so, um, like how to do I, TikTok dances, like, like how to negotiate. I mean, no, yeah. Uh. <laughs> how to do TikTok. My daughter actually is a TikToker. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, they, they, they taught me what love is honestly, like the, the most important value in life. Um, and learning how to take time off to be present and to, um, build that most important relationship. Cause that's the one that's going to last my entire lifetime. Um, uh, and so, you know, how can I be the best mom possible, which starts with my five to nine and cooking. So I'm, I love cooking. I love making dinner. I like having the kids in the kitchen, um, dancing preferably. And, uh, and so that's, you know, if I'm not taking them to a soccer practice or hockey practice, uh, and during COVID we've spent a lot of time in the kitchen cooking and, um, and, uh, having a good time. So that's, I love that. And they get involved. They jump in and start cooking with you. Oh, my daughter's a fantastic baker. She, she does all the baking and creation. And I remember when they were little, they used to do the, the chopped challenge. And, oh, yeah. and at some point I'm like, I cannot eat another crushed up, you know, uh, cereal with, with macerated strawberries and chocolate. Like they all ended up tasting the same. So I'm like, you guys, we need to, we need to move to, uh, to actually recipes, uh, yeah, which is kind of funny. To like protein yeah. now and just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So they could do, they can, they can follow a recipe now. And, um, I learned to cook when I was three by my mom. And, and so it's always been something I've been passionate about. So kind of fun to, to pay that forward. I, I, I'm obsessed with that. And it also is part of the reasons why I really loved you as a person, but also as a professional is because you're just so real, you're so authentic. Um, and you, you lead with that authenticity, which is like so relatable. It's so, it's so raw. And, and I think that's one thing that, that I, crave in the space that we work and live and spend most of our waking hours in. But oftentimes, like, I don't see it as often as I, as I would love to see it. Like, let's like unpack that a little bit. Like where, where is the authenticity in marketing? Where is the relatability in the folks in the ecosystem? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think we have to give kudos to the industry. And, and I think that tech is probably a little bit evolved than others. But, you know, when I think about the power that Brene Brown's had on me personally, and just starting the, to have the conversations about what it means to be uh, vulnerable and um, and uh, and put yourself out there, and and in doing that, realizing the connection that you can make with people because they get to know you, um, and so that whole idea of authenticity is actually one of the things that drew me to Salesloft. I mean, that was 
you know, sincerity in sales, I think was their first, uh, our first, um, uh, um, you know, mantra and, and authenticity. And, and it really is about building relationships at the end of the day. And I think it's really tough in marketing. I mean, we've talked about personalization. I, I, I've been talking, I, I was at Adobe for a really long time and, and I was working on Adobe Experience Manager at the, at the end of it. And we were talking about personalization and, you know, that was mind blowing back in 2010 that you could quote unquote personalize your website. Well, personalize meaning, you know, you could put them in the right industry. You could see from their cookie history, certain parameters. So you could make it more personalized, but really was that personalized? Um, and, and then looking at marketing automation and trying to write emails to a thousand people, guess what? They kind of know it's marketing because it's not personal. And so we just started to ignore it. And so I think we're at this whole point where figuring out ways to connect with people in all facets of life, not just in business, is something we're all striving towards. And, um, and so that's what I love about what, what we get to do on a daily basis, you and I, MK, because we get to help teach people how to be more authentic and be, build personal relationships in the business world. And frankly, some of my best friends came from the business world. So I don't know where that line is anymore, right? Honestly, so I learned a new uh, word this week um, that I used to call work-life balance, but someone challenged me to think about it as work-life harmony. And in, mm. like, I'm a music nerd. I, want, I thought I was going to be on Broadway when I was in high school. But harmony is about complementary facets, right? It, like a note with a complementary note really helps round out the sound and the piece. And that's exactly where I think we all are. Obviously, for many of us at the time of this recording, we've been working and living all in the same space because we've been in quarantine and finding that harmony has been really important. So um, I don't, I don't think that you have to sacrifice like, and like literally take the hat off. Like, I think they should all be very much intertwined and interwoven as long as you have harmony in it. When you have that like fifth note that like, excuse it, you don't have harmony anymore. And like, you should reassess and evaluate. But one of yeah, the things, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, uh, I've talked about work-life integration. I like the idea of harmony. It, it you know, it looks like something beautiful when it goes well. Um, and, but it's also uh, just riffing on what you said, like, you know, we, we know so much more about people now because we're talking to them in your personal space. Um, our kids walk through, uh, you know, or whatever else my cat usually jumps up on the table at least five times a day, if not I'm more. Really, I'm really hoping for a twinkle sighting. Oh, it's a big deal now. <laughs> She's got her own meme. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's almost accelerated. I don't want to say forced. I want to say accelerate um, our ability to be real with each other about, you know, our lives and the challenges we face and how we're all dealing with it. Um, Cause it's not going to go back. It's always, I, I hope this continues to be a path forward of, you know, seeing, seeing each other for who they are as human beings first. And then, yeah. you know, then you get to work together. Yeah. I, it's such an important call out too, right? Like I love, and, and it makes me uncomfortable when people don't point out the background signals to be like, oh, hey, introduce me to your cat. Who is this? You know, or like, oh, I was literally just on a call where I could hear that someone's child was crying in the background. And I was like, can we just pause? I know this is like, we're at a good place in our conversation, but you're not in a good place, like with whoever is crying or complaining in the background. Like, let me give you a couple of minutes. You just jump in and tend to, but nothing mm -hmm. some Cheetos can't fix, right? But yeah. still, it's really important to acknowledge and spend that time bonding over that authenticity and the relatability. Going, going back just a little bit, one of the things that you mentioned before was that 
you know, we have automation, we have personalization, and we all know that they're generic emails that are being sent out that are automated. And yet we're all complaining about the fact that we're still using the automation to create these generic, like automated one-to-many experiences. What's the friction there? Like why, why do we know better, but still don't do better? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I have two, two thoughts and then I'll, I'll throw a stat in. So I think the first is we're all just so busy. It's just easier to hit the button that says send all right. Then take the time. I have a perfect example. I've, I've been, um, sponsoring, I, I'm hosting a, a virtual event for our sales team with, with other CMOs and we wanted to invite 35 people. And so I go into sales loft, it's a, it's a cadence and, um, and I do it on a Sunday and I don't know some of these people. So then I go to their LinkedIn and I, and I connect with them on LinkedIn because I'm going to invite them. And then I find out we have a connection. It was three and a half hours for me to send 10 invitations. Like I'm so not productive. Right. Yeah. But guess what? Those, those 10 people did respond. Um, but because I took the extra time, but it's not efficient. And so mm-hmm. what's that right balance between personalizing and getting to know, or where do you spend your time versus just hitting the, the reply all button? Because guess what? By the last 10, I'm like, I don't have any more time. I just got to get these out. And so boom, <laughs> I did it. Yes. And none of, none of those people responded. So, so this goes to the data point um, where, you know, we see all the transactions in our platform and we know that 20% personalization is the right amount of, of personalization based on time to get the responses. Um, and so it, it's, you know, really being th- thoughtful about it. The, oh, it's the opening line, right? It's, it's yeah. can I make that show that I'm a human talking to a human and making that personal connection um, out of the gate? This, the second thing is the variety. So if you're just sending emails, the likely, the, it's, it's like, a, I, I should know this stat off the top of my head, but it's, it's a significant um, increase in the um, response rates if you use two channels. If you take the time to go connect on LinkedIn yep. or do a phone call plus the email, yep. um, your response rates are going to be much higher. So, you know, how you're using your time is really important um, and just just enough, not your entire Sunday afternoon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not three hours. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I would fail as an SDR. <laughs> but I, I want to kind of zoom in a little bit more on that, that stat that you threw out there. So 20% of this should be are we going to be so bold as to say like personal, meaning like it's clearly meant for no one else other than the intended recipient? Like that 20% should be that that level of granularity and, and one-to-one-ness? Yeah, it is around customizing the message to who you're talking about. And, and so it, it could be enough to be a persona and a pain point doesn't have to be like, Hey, we went to the same school or, you know, I saw, although that is effective. I I saw that you recently posted on this. Like if that person is active on their social networks, or if you can pick up some kind of social cue from their networks as to, you know, their age or, you know, their background or where they're from. Um, And so those, that bit of personalization does, does matter. Here's work-life integration. That's Okay. Right there. Do we um, want to have a cameo? It doesn't sound yeah, like it's twinkle. Harmony. Yeah. He's 16. <laughs> so his voice is really low, but we can harmonize. Um, so, uh, um, so the, the amount of personalization, it, it doesn't have to be, Hey, MK, I've, you know, been stalking your LinkedIn and, you know, I noticed you do this great show, but picking up a signal from that is, is what's important. The other thing is technically, 
So this goes to the, the, the systems themselves. Um, if you send the exact same email, you look like marketing automation. Guess what? Spam filters were built for that. Yep. And if you send, so if you send the same email, outbound prospecting email, even if it's coming from a sales engagement tool, if you're sending the same one to thousands of people, it's going to, the algorithms are going to learn that it's spam and you're going to get filtered out. So if you want your deliverability rates to stay high, you do need to um, ensure that uh, you are doing that level of customization. Yeah, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head as well, too, is that people are watching as as their their channels are depreciating because they're automating more frequently. Right. Um, and you're right, the signals are already picking up on the fact that like, oh, I've seen this one come to 15 members of right. the organization with all the exact same copy, all the exact same subject line, boom, spam. This is definitely not meant for someone to actually right. interact in. Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. What's also interesting, okay, so we have the juxtaposition of like it took you your entire Sunday afternoon where you probably could have been chasing your, you know, your 16 year old son, having fun in the kitchen or something like that. And then we have the automation piece where we're really busy. So how do you take the, what I'm going to call EQ that you did in that first phase where you spent your whole afternoon being really personal, being really like thoughtful and infuse that EQ into automation or into an enablement platform like SalesLoft to create experiences that feel like automation augmented. I just made that up on the spot, but you know that there are economies of scale in creating that persona-based copy while still caring about the person, not just the persona that that copy exists for. So, and the question is, how do how do we integrate it into like sales engagement systems? Yeah, how do you do how do you do both? How do you have the qualitative and the mm. quantitative in a marketing and a selling strategy that cuts through the noise? It's really hard. I mean, because you my first thought actually MK is like how do you train the people doing the communication to have empathy for who they're writing for? Yeah. That's where I would start, right? Like it's not just reading the persona, it's really understanding and having empathy for the persona. And so that means you have to talk to those people, right? Yeah. So, it, and and if that, or how how you get your teams to understand who those people are, if they're not like themselves. And this is, this is actually a real world challenge for us because SalesOft has sold to, to people like us for so long. This is the backbone of our business was SDRs selling to SDRs so they could empathize right away because they were one. But now as the market expands, we have new buyers, new markets that are not awesome startup SaaS companies. We have to teach them how to be curious, how to have a hypothesis, um, how to learn and take the time to learn so you can develop, um, you know, understand your buyer. Uh, because if you don't, then it's not going to be authentic. And, and so maybe that's where I would start. It's like, it's whoever's writing the copy, um, you know, make sure that they take the time to really understand who they're writing for. Um, I, I also like the idea of uh, using people inside your own company. If, if the persona exists in your company, well, um, let them help you write it. You know, don't, you know, they know better than you do. So using the resources that you have um, in order to get that done. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's a, an easy win right there, right? Like just interview the folks within your organization that have the same functions or similar roles to the folks that you're prospecting into. That's like low hanging fruit for sure. Yeah, Where do I'll, you give, you, see I'll like, give you one, I'll give you one more example of that that just popped yeah, yeah. into my head. So um, uh, 
tough life lesson learned uh, my first time marketing to developers. Uh, and this is back in the Adobe days. And, uh, and so, you know, I'd been marketing to governments and manufacturing financial services, the, you know, the, those kinds of companies. And I, I got assigned to cold fusion and flash. And, um, and so I come in and, you know, I start doing my thing and, and it bombed um, because guess what? Developers don't like to be marketed to. And so that was a good lesson. It was like, oh, I, I need to use my skills and talents as a marketer, but I need our developer evangelist to be the center of the show. And they took over and I was the supporting role of how to lift them up and build their brand. And, and yeah, the it, developers want, want to talk to developers. They want to talk to evangelists. That's, that's, that was a, a good lesson. Yeah, I mean, skepticism is by nature. It makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. They're only going to listen to folks that have that demonstrated domain expertise. It, it makes a ton of sense, but it also made all the difference as well, too, for the folks that you helped to elevate and show how much their authentic selves can actually be a really powerful mechanism and tool for um, helping to propel and amplify a brand as well. So going back to like what you were also saying about teaching, um, it's it's funny, we almost came full circle. You talked about Brene Brown being a source of influence for you and your authenticity, but she also talks a lot about that vulnerability that you need to put yourself out there. And that then helps with developing the empathy for the folks that you do business with. Um, and so using empathy as like a, a sales enablement skill, like I could see empathy-based training start to erupt in sales enablement to teach some of the EQ that we're talking about here. And the intellectual curiosity piece is also like massive, how to get curious, how to ask good questions that really tease out really good parts of, of the story for the person you're interacting with. That goes a really long way. Um, one of the things that I, I also really want to like dive in with you as well too, is that as your, as your company sales loft is trying to evolve this space forward, where are you seeing a massive uh, role between the sales and marketing alignment with some of that vulnerability and empathy? You, you mentioned whoever writes your copy. I'm finding more marketers are writing copy for sales reps these days than sales reps actually are. Like, how do you build the divide between these two orgs that historically have acted like cats and dogs, but really now need to be far more harmonious together? Um, so I, I love, uh, there was a customer of ours who had this concept of a cadence committee and it was marketing, um, and a couple of SDRs and a sales leader, and they would meet to talk about the performance of their existing cadences. So they were holding themselves account accountable and had a set time to see what was working. And they were all learning from it. It was like, oh, this message works with this buyer type and, you know, who's who's really good at, at, at executing against the cadences and letting them test out new messages. Because I think you always have to marketing isn't hundred percent right. And sales isn't, you know, like it's that really learning together and building the relationship between sales and marketing on solving the problem together raises both sides. So if you can, if you can, you know, build the bridge or build the opportunity where the teams can come together to learn and collaborate, that's the perfect example. You know, if, if that's your product marketing team that then is in the trenches with the SDRs learning, helping you know, helping them them adjust the copy, but at the same time, you still want to allow for exploration. In the in the cadence committee, and what I personally recommend is that you still 
because you don't want the wild, wild west. You still need to manage and kind of keep your house clean so you can measure against it. So who, who do you allow to um, test new copy and then envelop that into your overall library of, of cadences? Um, so you're, because it's, you're constantly refining. You're, you know, you, you have to be because the message always changes the message you're learning, your competition is going to say something or do something and then you're going to have to react so it's not a one and done it's not a set it forget it it's a constant curation of the message. Yeah, and I, I think that could also be part of what people have dismissed in automation is that they set it and forget it and they forget that it does it's like like the the like gardening right you have to nurture you have to develop yeah. you have to make sure it has all the right resources to actually flourish and grow uh, into something really really beautiful it's the new nurture mk it's, new nurture. <laughs> it's not a it's marketing nurture. nurture it's a new nurture <laughs> i love it i love it um i always love our conversations again because of how authentic and how real you are and i love the fact that you're with sales Walk, using that authenticity to teach and educate folks how to bring that through in the work that they do, the work that they put out there to not create more noise and distractions, but actually value add. Um, if folks wanna come learn more from you or about SalesLoft, where should they go? I, well, they can come to salesloft.com. We have a whole uh, learning section. We run our summits, we repurpose all the content. I mean, our, our goal is always to be teaching people to be better. Our, our, our mission is to create a world where sellers are loved by the buyers they serve. And that is the ultimate relationship. Um, and, and so whatever we can do to help build that in the world, not just customers of SalesLoft, but like really helping people figure out how to how to build those relationships is what we're all about. So our blog is a great place to, to come and check out um, or attend one of our summits where we curate the, the leaders and bring in best practices on those teachings and um, and ask a question on, on LinkedIn and we'll answer it. So we're all always there too, um, trying to, to help people out. Fantastic. It sounds like it's safe enough to say that when your prospects are already evangelizing your reps and your brand, that's when you really hit that sweet spot of authenticity in your selling and marketing. Well, I hopefully, love it. So that's, thank yeah. you. Go ahead. No, 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 go for it. No, I was just going to say, I, yeah. So, well, I was just going to say thank you. I mean, I, I, it's such um, a awesome place to be where, and the, you would share this, where you get to help people succeed in in their life and with their careers and so the fact that we get to work in this technology arena that helps people perform better learn and um and succeed which you know ultimately comes back to what we were talking about you know for their family for themselves is is such a gratifying um position to be in so thank you for having me I agree. I can't wait to keep continuing more of these conversations I can yeah. learn from and with you around all of this and how we can help bring it usher in this new era of more authentic and relatable interactions. Thank you again so much, Sydney. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, MK. Okay.